I'm going to talk, and we talked yesterday about the idea of critical thought and how important that thinking rationally and thinking critically is because there seems to be a, a marked absence of it on, on so many levels, certainly when it comes to the, the low level of political discourse in, uh, certainly in the United States, and we saw it in, in, during the Brexit conversation in the UK as well, that, that so much of our conversation is driven not by facts, not by rational thought, but by emotion. And uh, I guess like the Jeff Daniels character in the newsroom, we're on a mission to civilize, which, which sounded kind of pompous, but we're going to try to make it a bit of a mission to, to get back to, to rational thought. And that, of course, begins with our education system. And school teacher, author, commentator Michael Zwagstra is in studio with us today. Welcome back. Good to see you again, as always. Well, good to see you, Jeff. Glad uh, to be with you. Our, it's true, is it not, that we, we seem to be, it's not just the dumbing down of, of North American society, but the level of discourse that we see so often is, is based not on, especially on the social media, is not based on rational thought. It is, it's it's emotion-driven rather than fact or knowledge-driven. Well, absolutely. And uh, this is an area of uh, particular focus of mine in a lot of the research I do for the Frontier Center is I take a look at some of these trends. And uh, what we see is that in far too many cases, uh, we are making decisions based on emotion. Uh, we see uh, teachers that get very enthusiastic about their particular social justice project, and they assume that all their students uh, are necessarily going to be equally enthusiastic about it too. And the problem with that is it short circuits the learning process. The, the fact is that in order for students to be critical thinkers, they need to know a lot of things. They need to know a lot of facts and knowledge and skills. And that takes time. It takes a lot of direct instruction by the teacher. And you can't just simply continually move to these action projects and these uh, presentations when the reality is, is that students need to learn a lot of facts and they need to know them by memory. All right. And so learning stuff is important. You can't just you can't just sort of take somebody else's word for it. You, you know, if 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 a political leader gets up and makes a statement, we can't just accept that at face value and well, say, absolutely. you know, say this is this is the way things are. So, well, wait a second now. Is this is what I'm being told true? Well, the there's a saying that I often use, and it's this uh, students and frankly, anyone else cannot think critically about something they know nothing about. Uh Ignorant people aren't critical thinkers. And so if you're going to evaluate, is something true? Uh, is this a good theory? Does this make sense? You need to know a lot about uh, what the topic is. And it's not sufficient to say that, well, we'll just have students look it up. We'll give them their phones and they can Google it and they can look things up. Because the people who benefit most from looking things up are people who actually know a lot already about the topic at hand because you know what to look up. You know how to weed out faulty information. And so the more backward knowledge you have about whatever topic it is you're investigating, uh, the more likely it is that you can look up accurate information and the more likely it is that you'll be able to think critically about it. Scarcely a day goes by that somebody doesn't send me a meme of some kind uh, with with a whole lot of statements in it and and generally a very quick, uh, a cursory search uh, of whether or not those facts are true will lead you to the truth. And yet we're not doing it. Are we lazy? Well, it's, it's a combination. Sometimes we are. Sometimes we just want to uh, believe what we want to believe. And the Internet nowadays makes it very easy to do that because for any crazy theory out there, uh, you can find plenty of websites that will back up your perspective, even if there is no scientific or rational foundation for it. And, uh, this and is that, is, that is fake news. That is fake news. Okay, not, not, not what the president doesn't want to hear. 
No. But but that is fake. Like this is absolutely false, deliberately false, and deliberately designed to steer us someplace for who knows what the motivation is. But that's but so why are we increasingly uh, incapable? It seems, or either unwilling or incapable of distinguishing fact from fiction. Well, we, we end up in our silos and we end up in our own sort of, we, we surround ourselves by like-minded people. Uh, social media makes this very easy to do. I mean, so for example, you take uh, take Facebook and uh, you tend on average to be friends with people that are like-minded. You tend to like uh, news outlets and organizations that you already agree with. And so hence the things that if, uh, that appear in your feed uh, tend to be from uh, from groups that uh, that you already happen to agree with. And so your, pre- your predisposed by is confirmed the longer you spend time on Facebook scrolling, scrolling through your feed. A lot of people get their news only from social media. And so you're only going to see things that you already are inclined to agree with. And you're not thinking very critically then. Yeah. And, and you start blocking or unfriending people who tell you things you don't want to hear. That happens a lot, and I see it on Twitter, I see it Facebook, I see it elsewhere, where the moment people start to argue with you and challenge you, they block you, and that's uh, that's not healthy. In order to in order to be a critical thinker, you need to be engaged with people who don't think the same as you. You should have multiple friends that have different opinions from you and things. I know I make that an effort for myself. I make sure I have good personal friends that differ with me strongly on core issues because that helps keep me accountable and makes it more likely that I'm not just going to go run off with whatever my perspective happens to be. So it, it, it's, it can't be, Michael, that we, that we all, or when I say we all, I'm using a pretty broad brush here, that we lack the, the intellectual capacity, it, but, but we may lack the emotional maturity to want to be able to separate fact from fiction. Well, that, that certainly does happen, and uh, I, the vast majority of people, if we're willing to put the effort in, we're capable of uh, of evaluating information right. and making accurate determinations. We have the intellectual capacity to do that, most yes. of us. Right? The, the problem, but, but we don't. Well, it, well, the part of the problem is that if in, in far too many cases in school, uh, we're not getting that factual knowledge base that, that we need. We're not spending time learning history, learning dates, learning events, learning what things that happened in sequence, learning basic scientific concepts, and actually having those directly taught to us by teachers and building up that core knowledge base, particularly in the early grades. The more of that core knowledge base you have to build upon, the more you're able to critically think and read and comprehend uh, when you get older. Okay, well, let's let's talk about something that, that makes a whole lot of us squirm and, and makes a lot of people uneasy, and, and that is, for example, our, our interpretation of the history of the indigenous population of this, this country, that, uh, that there was a time when the injustices perpetrated on these people was completely ignored in our school system, that residential schools, if they were mentioned at all, were, were barely touched on, and in recent years, the coin has been flipped completely on its ear, and and that is now that it is nothing but injustices that were perpetrated, and that that somehow there was this idyllic, peaceful, happy, healthy, long-lived societies that existed when the Europeans got here, and and neither one of those is entirely false, but neither one is is complete or entirely true as well. So isn't it true that in our school system that we've never really gone for 
the real core, the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Well, this is why multiple sources is so important in history. And so I teach history courses, and uh, one of the things I seek to do is to make sure that students are exposed to primary sources uh, from more than one perspective. And so uh, there's obviously no way to absolutely guarantee that someone is going to get purely accurate information, but we do the best we can by providing sources that have a variety of different perspectives. And so it's important that students, for example, read what do some of the original treaties actually say, the actual words of the actual treaties. And so, for example, treaty number one or treaty number six, you know, actually reading them and then reading some of the different some of the different uh, perspectives on them, uh, because that's important. It's important to look at actual information. Um, and it's also important, I, w- I would also put in a plug for having good textbooks, textbooks that because a lot of the good textbooks. And I, I will say the current grade 11 Canadian history textbook that we're using in schools now is actually pretty good because it actually does provide some excerpts from primary sources from more than one perspective. And we need more of that because it's 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 all too easy that if we're not taking the time to research and to look at the different perspectives and to actually learn the facts and learn you know the timeline of things, we just get right. caught up in our own silos and our biases are confirmed and then we just never come back from that. Right. For example, when, they, when the first Europeans arrived in North America, they discovered a number of societies frequently at war with another, uh, with one another, who practiced uh, torture and slavery, who whose life expectancy was about 30 years on average. And after that, Europeans arrived. Things got remarkably, in many in in many aspects, got remarkably worse for those very same people. So it's not it's it's not a kind of a one or the other. And yet, that seems to be, uh, depending on what the the social mores of the time happen to be, that's what we get. And that's that's what produces us, right? It depends on on where you were educated and when you were educated. How you look at a guy like Louis Riel, right? If you're educated now, Louis Riel is the father of Manitoba. He's the hero. If you were raised in the '60s or '70s in Eastern Canada or Central Canada, you might have been raised to believe that Louis Riel was nothing but a hero who rightly got hanged. Well, right. and uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's and it's amazing to look at the differences in yeah. terms of the perspectives of text, textbooks, and you can sort of tell what what decade it was written by the yeah. perspective it would take on someone like Louis Riel. But again, Louis Riel, he's a complex individual. I mean, right. he 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 led a resistance in Manitoba. He led a rebellion in what is now Saskatchewan. Um, he stood up for the rights of his people, and so he also had some rather odd religious beliefs. He believed that he was he he should be the new pope. There, he's he's a complex person, and it's very tough to. To take someone like him and distill him down into yeah. he's good or he's bad. But we like right. to do that. We like to simply have, you know, that that simply one or two sentences about is this person good or is this person bad? And then we just confirm our biases in that. But the truth is usually more complicated than that. And certainly in a case like Louis Riel, you know, people are going to have their perspectives. And uh, but it's important to have to know as much as we can about him, to take the time to uh, to read some primary sources, to to debate the different sides and certainly in a classroom environment to encourage students to express their views, even if it happens to be different from what yours might be or from what other students might be. And I find that's that's very healthy and it's very valuable. I'm not remotely interested in trying to present here is what you should think about Louis Riel. If a teacher is doing that, that is wrong. Uh, you should be presenting information about Louis Riel, allowing students to express their views and their thoughts and to interact with the material that we have. All right, we're going to come back and talk more to educator, columnist, commentator, author Michael Zweigstra next. Author, educator, commentator, Michael Zweigstra in studio with us today. Uh, this was sparked by a recent op-ed piece that appeared on the 
Fraser, uh, the uh, Frontier Center, I beg your pardon, Frontier Center uh, website. But, Michael, we're talking about the, the amount of information we have today is is greater than it's ever been before. So, so why are we not smarter? Why are we not better educated with all this information available to us? Well, that's what we'd assume, because it is true. We have more information at our fingertips than we've ever had before. In a simple Google search, we can find reams of information. It's so much easier to access. And yet, in many cases, we have people that uh, that, in, that are ignorant, that don't know. And there's people will often argue. Or, and worse, be, or worse, believe the false information. Or believe the false information. And we often hear the saying that, well, you know, we can always just look it up. We could always just look it up. Um, nine times out of ten, when someone is saying that to you and, and, it's, and using that as an excuse for why they don't have to memorize anything and really learn anything is that when they say they can look it up, usually they're not looking it up. It, 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 be, we, it gives us this false sense of security. We think we can just go look things up, and we often don't. And then in the rare time that we do, we go get false information because we're not able to discern tr- truth from fact because we don't know anything about the topic at hand. If you don't know anything about the topic, uh, there's a good chance you're going to be led astray. You need to take the time to actually have facts in your brain. You need to take the time to read books from beginning to end. You need to take the time to read different perspectives. And if you're not consciously making that effort, then you can't really say that you're terribly well-educated and informed. What does the Lindsay Shepard story on Sir Wilfrid Laurier Tell us about the state of so-called higher education these days. Well, it shows us that uh, that in far too many post-secondary institutions, uh, you have groupthink. You have this situation where you are expected to think the same way, and they can't even fathom why you would want to expose people to contrary perspectives. I mean, my goodness, you know, Lindsay Shepard got in trouble for showing a clip from a mainstream show featuring Steve, you know, with Steve Paikin in- interviewing two uh, guests, professors, about the topic of grammar and speech and gender-neutral pronouns. And she got in trouble for showing two different perspectives. Now, the last time I checked, when you go to a university, you're supposed to be exposed to different perspectives. You're not to be sheltered from those different ideas. You need to directly engage with them. Well, but she got in, she really got in trouble, not for showing two perspectives, but specifically for showing one perspective. So this gets back to the point of your recent op-ed piece, and that is the difference between education and indoctrination. Well, absolutely. And there is a big difference between the two. But we blur the line. In education, we're helping students learn information, learn facts. We're teaching them how to think because we're, we're showing them different perspectives and helping them as they process and make up their own minds. In brainwashing, we're showing one perspective. What to think, not what, how to think. We're what showing think. them what to think. Right. And what happens in that when we're showing them what to think is that we present a skewed perspective from the other side. We, we pretend we're showing them both sides, but we're not because we're skewed everything. And when you do that, then you have brainwashing where you think you know a lot, but you really don't because you only know one side. Mm. And, and wh- how soon does that start? Well, it can it can start very soon. I mean, the in the op-ed piece I wrote, I mean, I mentioned uh, the case of a of a teacher in Regina that it concerned me because the uh, the uh, teacher had attended uh, an Al Gore training institute uh, regarding climate change, and he had his uh, grade six and seven students spend basically an entire month working on climate change projects and presenting how to address climate change. Now, without getting into the debate on climate change itself, because that's not really the point, uh, the it's deeply problematic that to assume that a teacher is going to go to an action training institute, because that's what the Al Gore Institute is. I mean, it's it's for the purpose of training people to go out and spread the good news or the bad news, I guess, in that case. Right. 
and to take a class and then spend an entire month basically going over all the stuff you've done in this training institute and then assuming that every single student in that class is going to now think the same way on the issue and is going to be equally passionate about presenting here's what we want to do in order to address this problem. And I, I have a, I'm concerned about that. I think it take, I think frankly, that sort of thing is a shortcut approach where you're you're doing these projects, you're doing these action things, you're doing these social justice initiatives, which may have some good elements in it, but it's not good if you're short circuiting the learning of facts, knowledge, content, and helping students think for themselves and coming to their own conclusions, rather than seeing that their teacher is passionate about something and then just simply you know, going along with that because, well, my teacher's into it, I should be into it too. And then you're not thinking for yourself. Well, okay. So is this different then, or is there a distinction to be made between this and the conversation we had yesterday with Tom Ethans from Take Pride Winnipeg, where high schools have programs where they recycle plastic bags, you know, where they're getting into recycling, which seems like a good idea, right? And it certainly, and it can be. And I, I don't, I don't have any problem with schools having, you know, having lots of recycling bins available and encouraging students to recycle. Um, I wouldn't want that, however, to to be a, the dominant thing that we're doing in science class all the time is simply talking about that. Uh, I want students to get a good, solid grounding in scientific facts, concepts, theories. And 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 then they can take that and they can apply it themselves. And if that if and if there's some application at the school level where there's a social justice project because there's a club that they choose the students choose right. to join and get involved, that's great. I think it's great if schools have environment clubs where students are passionate about it. But I'm hoping that they're passionate about it because they know a lot about it and they can think critically about it. Because those are the students that are going to be able to change the world. Is that if you know the different perspectives and if you know your facts and then you still want to go out and change it, that's great. But let's not assume that every student is going to think the same way and that they're all going to participate all the time in this same sort of initiative. Do we have an issue in our in our public schools? We clearly have one on our university campuses. I mean, that's that's I think that's been revealed all over North America, that there's a there's very much a, a particular mindset and slant that you better have on a university campus if you're going to get along. But is it true in our public school system? Well, it, it is very obvious in the university system. I mean, uh, the Lindsay Shepard case sort of blew the lid off that. I would say in, in, in the public school system, my biggest concern is the de-emphasis that we see in knowledge and facts. Where, and we see that de-emphasis particularly in faculties of education where teachers are trained and where the dominant perspective is this progressive approach where we need to teach students uh, these transferable abstract skills. And so we teach them critical thinking skills as opposed to making sure they learn the specific knowledge and content. And so I see that de-emphasis certainly in faculties of education where teachers are trained, and then you see that filter into the public school system. So it's not like there's a concerted effort. We're going to go brainwash students. My concern is that if you're if students aren't having enough of a foundation in these knowledge and skills that they need to have, and I'm talking content-specific knowledge, subject-specific, as in specific history courses, specific science courses where they learn these things and have these things by memory, if you don't have those, you're vulnerable to brainwashing. And that's where my concern is. All right. It's it's one thing to, to teach kids how to look up stats, but if you don't know how to interpret what statistics, can, how they can be manipulated, 
then you, you're potentially gullible. Absolutely. Right. And if your math skills are weak, if your basic math is weak, uh, you're you're very vulnerable to misinterpreting statistics. So you can take all the interpretation classes you want, but if you're having trouble with basic addition and subtraction, multiplication and division, um, you're not going to be able right. to think terribly critically. Michael Zwagster, always great to have you on the show. Thanks for stopping by today. Well, thank you for having me, Jeff. Author, uh, teacher, educator, speaker, Michael Zwagstra, check out the, on the Frontier Centre for Public Policy, check out his latest op-ed piece there, the difference between education and brainwashing, and it's an important distinction to make.